0: Cuts in the numbers of daily transits on the Panama Canal leave ship operators scrambling. Huti rebels hijack a car carrier, taking 25 seafarers hostage, and a container ship is hit by a drone. Meet the Filipino seafarer influencer with over 2 million followers on TikTok, and much more in the latest episode of Maritime in Minutes. this is Marcus Hand, editor of Sea Trade Maritime News, and we're going to be taking a look back at the top and most interesting stories we featured on the website during November. We've got a lot to get through in the next 15 minutes or so, so wherever you are, sit back and relax as we take a look back through November in Maritime. We started out November with a story that we have come back to across the month and that was the Panama Canal announcing drastic cuts in guaranteed daily transits as the country experienced its worst drought in 73 years. The drought and its impact on fresh water for the canal's lock system had already reduced daily transits from a normal level of around 30 to 40 per day to just 30 by the start of November. However, with no end in sight to the water shortage, the Panama Canal Authority announced a phase cut in daily booking slots over the coming months to just 18, from 1st February 2024 until further notice. The news sent shockwaves through the shipping industry, which now faced a choice of lengthy waits for transits, sailing much longer routes around Cape Horn or via the Suez Canal, or making astronomical bids for auction slots. Ocean Network Express CEO Jeremy Nixon wrote to Panamanian president, Loventino Cortizo, saying that delays and loading restrictions for Neo-Panamax ships had reached such a level of concern that strategically we have to start considering alternative routings for these fixed-day scheduled services from Asia via the Suez Canal. Some vessels started to U-turn, while an auction slot went for a previously unthinkable $3.975 million. By the end of November, the canal's authority started hauling special auctions for vessels stuck in the queue, and two of the world's largest container lines, MSC and CMA CGM, had announced Panama Canal surcharges. We are following this story closely on SeaTrade-Maritime.com, so make sure you check out our coverage. Coming to week two, and one of the more potentially attractive ways to decarbonise the existing shipping fleet is the use of biofuels, as it doesn't involve any retrofitting. However, a study commissioned by German ship owner, Dorf Carriers, showed there could be issues for the long-term use of such fuels. The study involved monitoring 15 samples of B20 biofuel, consisting of 20% bio-oil derived from used cooking oil blended with very low sulfur fuel oil that were bunkered by the Edwin Oldendorf in January 2022. The 15 samples were split into three separate storage groups at different temperatures. The samples were then tested regularly across eight different chemical parameters from May 2022 to April 2023. Analysis of the samples showed degradation and stability issues over time. Now, the results are far too complex for me to explain here, so please check out the link to the story in the show notes if you want to know more. For our second story in week two of November, we're heading down under. Now, the shipping industry is highly international, and the days of the national shipping company are long gone for most countries. However, this does not stop governments from thinking it might be a good idea. And the latest of these is the Australian government. Following a report by a task force established last year, the government of PM Anthony Alban is committed to delivering a fleet of 12 ships of various types crewed by Australian seafarers that can be relied upon in times of national crisis to meet Australian demand. The fleet of mixed vessel types would be paid for by a levy on international vessels calling Australian ports. Not surprisingly, Shipping Australia Limited, which represents many of those international companies, did not think the Strategic National Fleet was a very good idea, describing the fundamental premise of it as utterly flawed. The body said the National Fleet would not achieve economic sovereignty, nor would it add any meaningful level of capacity, nor would it cut costs, and therefore it would not be able to achieve any economic success. Will this policy actually be enacted before Australia has another one of its fairly regular changes in government? We'll keep you posted. If you're enjoying the Sea Trade Maritime podcast, make sure you never miss an episode by subscribing on the app of your choice. Coming to week three, and we're staying down under with Australian ports. Now, some of Australia's largest container terminals are operated by Dubai headquartered DP World. Its operations at four of the largest ports in Australia, in Sydney, Melbourne, Brisbane, and Fremantle, were crippled by hackers, forcing it to close the terminals for several days. The attack hit systems that allowed trucks to share data with the terminal operator, meaning that while vessel operations could still be performed, trucks could not enter or exit the facilities, leaving over 30,000 containers stranded on the dock. It was to take the terminal operator three days to bring operations back online, and the backlog took some 10 days to clear. DP World said it was not a ransomware attack, but personal data from some current and past employees was accessed by an unauthorized third party. Now, from the cyber world to that of elderly ships. A story we ran earlier in the month on comments by analyst Alpha Alphaliner on MSC being by far the largest owner of container ships of 20 years or older got opinion writer Michael Gray musing over the merits or not of older tonnage. He noted there seemed to be an almost veiled criticism of MSC for its strategy, despite the fact it also has many very large new ships, either in its fleet or on order. Michael said you could be sure the technical staff on the MSC procurement team would have been looking very carefully at the ship's maintenance regime. He added that good second-hand tonnage will always be worth looking at, although the timing of such purchase is crucial. Now, Michael's article piqued my interest as to what others in the industry thought. So I posted the story on my LinkedIn feed, asking the question, is an old ship a bad ship? Now, We had lots of comments from readers, so thank you so much for taking the time to respond. The responses were quite split, with some noting the timing and high prices MSC had paid, and others the cost of environmental compliance for such vessels as the EU emissions trading scheme comes into force next year. But on the flip side, there were comments from some about how old vessels were the best they had ever served on, and the key factor of how well the vessel is maintained. Now, be it an old ship or a new ship, it's not going anywhere if it hasn't got any seafarers on board. The week of 20th of November found me back in Manila for one of my favorite events on the calendar, Sea Trade Maritime Crew Connect Global. As the event was about to kick off, I sat down with Henrik Jensen, CEO of Danica Crew, to discuss the results of their survey of over 6,000 seafarers. The survey showed that across all senior officer ranks, salary increases had been over around 10 to 15% regardless of nationality. Now while wage increases of 10 to 15% may not sound that dramatic relative to inflation rates in double digits in some countries, Henrik noted that with salary payments primarily in US dollars, many seafarers gained significantly in relative terms due to the exchange rate with the currency in their home country. However, while he believes the wage market is currently in seafarers' favour, it may not stay that way due to depressed dry bulk markets and the collapse in container shipping. Henrik said, I think you will see for 2024, the likes of the container and bulker owners will be much more careful with their costs. Meanwhile, a recurring theme of many of the discussions at the conference was how to reach out to and attract young people to take up a career at sea. Enter Filipina cadet Ivan Guzman, a veritable social media celebrity with 2.2 million followers on his TikTok channel, where he talks about his work and life at sea. Speaking to the conference about the type of content he produces, Ivan explained. Well, as a new generation, I'm more focused on creating educational content. The scope of the maritime field, so I'm only limiting myself into what I learned at the university, but when I went on board, everything that I learned on board, I compressed it into thoughts and create videos for those seafarers that want to learn something, and for those seafarers who are currently studying and will be able to enter the portals of the maritime industry. His most popular video might surprise some listeners. It certainly did me. It is a 1 minute 46 second explanation of the ballast water exchange process, which has racked up some 10.6 million views and over half a million likes. Ivan has permission to make his videos on board ship, including showing the company logo on the funnel, from Hong Kong shipowner Pacific Basin, which is happy with the content's educational nature and it also has a proviso that Ivan does not harm the company's brand. As one reader commented on my LinkedIn feed, we want many more Ivans for this transformational period in the industry, and I couldn't agree more. Starting out November, we have a rapidly developing crisis with commercial shipping, in particular Israeli-linked vessels being targeted in attacks in the Southern Red Sea and the Gulf of Aden. At the time of recording, some 25 seafarers from the Raykark area's vessel Galaxy Leader remain hostage, 11 days after Houthi rebels stormed the NYK-chartered ship in a military-style operation. Two other Israeli-linked vessels have also been attacked with the Eastern Pacific Shipping Managed CMA CGM Simi hit by a drone and the Zodiac Maritime Tanker Central Park rescued from a hijacking by the US Navy. In addition, the UK MTO said it had received multiple reports from masters of small craft acting suspiciously in the Gulf of Aden. The incidents have brought huge concern from the industry. The International Chamber of Shipping stated, In all cases, these vessels are conducting their right of freedom of navigation and innocent passage. The attacks are a flagrant breach of international law and maritime laws by paramilitary forces in Yemen. These attacks must stop immediately and innocent seafarers released. We will be following this story on Sea Trade Maritime News and hope for the speedy and safe release of the kidnapped seafarers. That is all we have time for on this episode of Maritime in Minutes. Links to the stories mentioned are in the show notes, and we look forward to joining you on the next episode of the Sea Trade Maritime Podcast.